This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. For has it not been written, we are safe from any threat mm. as long as those three golden balls are on the minaret? <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to Underrated. This is a podcast where we discuss the films that are underrated, underappreciated, and the ones that have slipped under the radar and passed most people by. I'm Derek McDuff, and I'm joined, as always, by Alan Torres. Hey everybody, how's it going? And Ariel Ortiz. Hello! Uh, So every once in a while, we're going to start discussing a film that has been suggested to us by listeners... Uh, And this suggestion comes from our live show, and that is The Thief and the Cobbler. This film was a labor of love from the legendary animator Richard Williams, who spent more than three decades working on the film. Uh, Over the years, hundreds of animators worked on the film, which went in and out of production multiple times as Williams searched for funding. Finally, after his work as the animation director on Who Framed Robert Rabbit, Williams was able to secure funding to finish the film. Uh, however, after going over budget and over schedule, the film was taken away from Williams to be finished by the Completion Bond Company quickly and cheaply. As a result, the film was drastically cut down with the tone majorly changed to make it more in line with the popular Disney animated musicals of the time. And it was also re- released as the Princess and the Cobbler initially overseas. Eventually, Miramax released a cut of the film in the U.S. retitled Arabian Night, with almost all of the voice cast aside from Vincent Price replaced, including both of the titular silent main characters being dubbed over. After years of restoration attempts on Williams' original work print by the likes of Roy E. Disney, a fan restoration known as the Recobbled Cut used storyboards to stitch together a complete version of Williams' original film in full. So, with that all said, what did you guys think of your the film, and what's your history with it? Um, I, I'll start. my history is I, I this is a movie of my childhood, the Miramax version specifically. So I have a very soft spot for that version. I'm more in, attuned with that style anyway, and a fan of that style anyway. There are moments like watching the recobbled version where I could see like, oh yeah, maybe like that moment you know should have been kept in and stuff like that but what it was very interesting to, to watch the recobbled scene this time around and then i did like a quick 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 rewatch of of the miramax the one of my childhood 
as well. It, it, I think in theaters it was Arabian Nights, but once it got onto home video, it was changed back to. Yes, Thief they, the they did retitle it. It was kind of had a silent release, and it was eventually like in some cereal boxes and stuff as Thief and the Cobbler. Um, so yeah, it's had a lot yeah. of different Wh- titles. Which is a which was a very thing they did that for Bambi. They did that for a lot of yeah. different Disney movies as well. I that's the thing. I I did also watch that that documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the the moments where I was like, well, that wasn't as bad of a thing in the late in the late for a 90s. movie that was that recent though it was kind of like because no. Bambi is like cl- classic you know no 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 it, they did it for like Lilo and Stitch or well well yeah when Le- not Lilo and Stitch but but early late late 90s movies like speaking of of Lion King they did it for Lion King as well and it, yeah it was very much just a thing of the time but I I'll digress on that um Definitely. Yeah, I was just, I was just saying, it, it a lot of re-releases. <laughs> yeah, re rewatch uh, watching the recobbled one. It's definitely he had a complete movie. He just didn't want to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, and um, watching the documentary, which we'll talk about a little bit more, I felt that it was very much a case of perfectionism just getting in the way of of doing something. You know, mm-hmm. I I feel for me the the story overall didn't change much from between the the original idea and then to to the the mirror, what was released ultimately. Um, I think you know it, it definitely it unfortunately kind of like with which which is also a movie a classic movie and like is well well deserving of of its accolades as well is. I think definitely the 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 release of Aladdin, which is is kind of falls on fault to him for taking too long as well, and especially talking about the project as as for such a long time. If you want to like, you don't don't give any it, for all future people who want to like make a movie and stuff like that, and you know it's going to take a lot of time. Don't give away much, you know. Well, I will <laughs> to, say to that, your story, I will but, say real uh, fast that. Two of the guys who worked on this movie were the character designers of Jafar, so they. It wasn't just that he was talking about it. it they was probably that wanted to. They probably wanted their character to be seen. Well, you was, know, they probably well, thought was, like was, this movie is you know, never going to be seen. I, I'm not. I'm not like showing <laughs> shade on. I'm just saying that you know, yeah. These these animators, you know, obviously, so many people over the decades went through this mm-hmm. movie. So many people were students, essentially, of yeah. Richard Williams that they took that and. Aladdin, which is a favorite of mine, obviously it's a masterpiece, but Aladdin, it you can see, is very, very influenced by this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it Aladdin and, and this movie as well are very influenced by the cult, cultural Arabian one hundred nights, um, Arabian Nights story. Yeah, as you well. can you like can trace it back to the first animated movie ever, Prince Ahmed. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I I could. I very much believe what re like rewatching the Miramax version and then watching the recobbled version. I feel like with the combined efforts of both movies, there could have been a very complete movie. Um, I, I, both, both sides kind of have their shortcomings. Um, some additions to, to the Miramax. I actually enjoy a lot over the recobbled version. I don't get, I I under like the animation is is brilliant like for sure, but I for the recobbled version, 
and this is mentioned in in the um the documentary as well Persistence but then it's also oh, we should say as the name of the documentary yeah. if anybody's wondering yeah but it's also I would <laughs> but I but it's also what I would I would see as as also being shown by his involvement in in Roger Rabbit I'll get to that but as he was an incredible animator very awesome shots which which do carry on not as length at, as in the Miramax version but incredible shots still like it, when I watched this as a kid it's like I think I watched this like at 5 years old and it was remarkable. Like it, it, yeah, it's very vibrant of, of images and stuff like that. Animation incredible, but I would say that the recobble version and this, yeah. And like I said, this is something that was mentioned in the documentary. The story wasn't there. It wasn't strong. I would say Mm -hmm. it was a very simple story, not much added. And there are elements in the Miramax version that I think actually add to the story, specifically with it being like a Arabian Night kind of story. I did like that kind of added element to of the over essentially tack telling the story. And that felt very much like in, involved of like an Arabian like this is a sto- Arabian Night story that's being told to you. So I really enjoyed that. I I do I do think that that the tack speaking on camera you could say should have been saved for the end like how the original was which that original voice actor very daunt like deep voice a, de- a deep voice d- would not come out of tack's yeah. mouth well <laughs> like, that was Matthew the project does it was supposed fit. to be it was supposed to be sean connery to record that line but he just never showed up Sean that Connery was, wouldn't have worked either. That was, that was the joke, though. It was supposed to be like, oh, this, this little guy has this deep voice. That uh, was the kind of gag. That's a stupid gag. In oh, my you want to talk about stupid gags? <laughs> Look at the Miramax version. That, that is all full of stupid gags, I'm just saying. Well, I, I really do enjoy... I, I enjoyed... And continue to enjoy it. I I know like people are like oh the thief shouldn't have talked. I like the 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 inner thoughts of the thief in the Miramax version. I always have. Kind of sounded like like Jeff like Jeff Goldblum, but it was actually um John Winters who is of of another Aladdin con- connection of um Mork and Mindy fame, and also a really great comedic actor on his own right. But I enjoyed that, and and so yeah, I think. If the if the combined minds of what was point what was turned in and what was like created, you know, by by Richard and and all his his work, I think that that there would have been a stronger movie. I think there, yeah, there are shortcomings in both, but I'm not gonna sit here and say that the original was is like a complete masterpiece aside from the animation. So yeah, no, I think you're right about that, but definitely, but but uh, Alan. Uh, what about you? I actually had no idea what this movie was. I never heard of it. Uh, when you mentioned it, I immediately thought it was like maybe like a 60s medieval fantasy movie or something. Like, I just had no idea. Like, I thought it was going to be live action. And not until like you, you sent us the link to watch it. But yeah, when I started watching it, though, I, I felt like I recognized Tack. Like his like mime face with like having a tack in his mouth, kind of using that as a smile or a frown. I or love whatever. that, by the way. Which, when he, when yeah. he's, he's happening to the tack, so that was I wrote that in my notes of how much I love that little detail. Sorry to cut you off. No, that that was actually one of my favorite details. So yeah, I, I guess to start off, yeah, the story is okay. Like the story is kind of just 
simple. Yeah, I think um, cl clarify that up until this point, you've only seen the recobbled version, right? Correct? Yeah, just right mm -hmm. now. Like, this is mm -hmm. all I've seen. I didn't see the documentary because yeah. I didn't have enough time. But I kind of read up a little bit about it during some of the slow parts. So I was kind of like reading and kind of caught up with what you guys were saying. Yeah, but essentially, I, I was like kind of blown away. I was actually like shocked at how fucking amazingly animated this film is. Like, I, I, I do have to say that I think maybe uh, Richard Williams was his name. Mm -hmm. I, I think he, because from, from what it sounds like you guys are saying from the documentary, he got overzealous and wanted to keep going because there were, because I know this, this, you know, they filled in holes and they put in certain parts in the film, some sequences where there are times where I was like, yes, this could have been cut out. You didn't need it. Like the movie didn't need to be an hour and 40 minutes, like not at all. It could have been an hour and 15, an hour and 20 the most. But other than that, like it was just stunning. It was gorgeous, like super vibrant. I mean, yeah, it sucks that occasionally you would see the the non-colored, not non-rendered kind of uh, scenes, kind of sure, just black and white sketches and stuff. Which can would can pull you out a little bit, but you kind of have to go in with that like in mind. But it was just amazing. Like I just could not take my eyes off the screen. Like, and what's incredible is that it was it took thirty years to mostly make. And yeah, like I'm not gonna lie, it, it, if it had been completed and they cut it down by like twenty minutes, I think it could have easily been one of the greatest animated films of all time. Easily better than, you know, the 90s renaissance of Disney. Like, holy shit. Like, that animation, the fluidity, everything. Like, all the characters, the way they moved. You know, Blue Meanie Jaf Jafar kind of had this, like... <laughs> even, like, his capes and his, like, outfit and everything. Just everything moved. Like, just... I loved it. And I kind of liked... I, I know we were talking in the group chat beforehand that, like... I guess the Miramax version is a little more... You know, child friendly. This yeah, one is like broad. No, yeah. I'll say I'll to point that out. There, that's what what was shocking to me. Like, I I don't know what Richard Williams like. Was he intending this not to be a kids movie because it would not yeah, have fly? I don't think that. Yeah, this was supposed to be like his like masterpiece of like showing what animation could do. It was not supposed to be. A kids movie. Okay, it was supposed to be like a Studio Ghibli kind of animation movie. You know, like a Princess mm. Mononoke. Yeah, but Studio Studio Ghibli does not cross the line of of a man half a half asleep fondling and pleasuring a woman in a tent. Uh, so, uh, so oh, that was yeah. one thing that I was like, "What the fuck?" Well, um, I, I felt like, yeah, they, I, I felt like they kind of set it up. That to was be the like, only hey, part. Yeah. Yeah, I think the old he was supposed to be like an old creeper, you know, like the, the he's not supposed to be a good character, the king, and it's neither a zigzag, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I was kind of like, okay, if anything, I would have much preferred it to be the way it was. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't want it to be like toned down for for kids or anything like that because i just because just so much of that beginning those first couple uh sequences are so psychedelic and like i won't lie i was a little high when i started watching it <laughs> or i was coming down and i was like holy shit this is like awesome and like the checkerboard kind of spinning all over the screen like kind of white and black it was awesome like 
so many amazing sequences and like the last sequence where he kind of does that like Rue Goldberg machine destroys all the war machines. Yeah, but definitely Buster Keaton like uh, mm-hmm. influence for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, and then like I mean, uh, there there was one scene. I mean, they they. they I don't know if it was purposely done like that, like because a lot of the music sounded very generic. It just sounded like they took classical, public friendly kind of music. Like they had like uh, the night on. Oh my god, what is it called? It's night on it's Bald a, Mountain, but it's a clear, Mountain. a clear spoof of of Disney's animation of night on yeah, Bald Mountain downtown movement. Yeah, my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, Chernabog is one of my favorite Disney villains. So I had a great, great time seeing that part. And then after that, when he when the thief is kind of flying, it kind of looked like there was a little bit of inspiration from the uh, the the Fletcher Superman. It reminded me mm. of one Fletcher animation, where, like Superman's fighting these generic fucking robots, but like the way they flew was very straight, just like how like like they just wouldn't move. Like it was very still, but it was fluid. And the way the thief was kind of flying over everybody was the same exact style. So. I feel like, yeah, like Ariel said, like there's a lot of influences from a lot of other things, which I thought was super awesome. And if that's what he was trying to show, I mean, he did a great job. And one of the things I really loved was like the 3D effects, which must be insanely hard to do. And and it's probably, you know, I can see why they went over budget because there's just sequences where like they do great little CGI. Even like you can pause any scene or slow down a scene and like kind of just look at it. And every frame, there's something going on, especially when all the war machines were being destroyed. Just so much shit was going real on. Real fast, like, Alan. That's uh-huh. not CGI. That shit is all hand-drawn. That would no, be that, CGI that, today. Yeah. No, and no, 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 yeah. Yeah, like that, that, they'll, that would be... Like, there's so much stuff like that today, and I think that people might not realize how impressive it is because you will see stuff like that, and it will be digitally created or digitally rendered or digitally repeated or whatever. They had to hand-draw that all on cells. Which is, it's mind-boggling that they were able to do that. I'm sorry, keep going. No, no, yeah, it's painstakingly hard to do. Like, and the thing is, they did it with such fluidity where I was just like, like, yeah, there's no way you could have done this. Like, I mean, they couldn't have done it in that that time span with like CGI, obviously. But like, even now, like some CGI effects don't even look as good. Just, I'm a big hand-drawn guy. Like, I prefer hand-drawn animation much more you know i don't get me wrong cgi animation is cool too it's just there's something about hand drawn that just hits better it's kind of you know it's weird to say because i'm a big you know i love playing video games but there's just something about like hand drawn like like cuphead like cuphead the video game it's still absolutely gorgeous to watch because like they did everything hand drawn and they did it the way they could that they did you know animators did in like golden age of Walt Disney animation, like in the forties, fifties and that game, like I know they made spinoffs for like Netflix or whatever cartoons. And they look like shit compared to the game (laughs) because they painstakingly like went out of the way. I mean, I don't know how maybe they did. They they use like a weird CG flash animation for the shows, but like to tie it back to this, it just shows how crisp and how just, it's just so artisan. Like, that's the only thing I can say. It's just so good. I mean, again, no offense to CGI artists or anything. It's just, oh, man, it's just so gorgeous to look at. Like, it's, yeah, like I said, I think my only thing is if it, if it was finished and cut down by 20 minutes, easily a masterpiece. 
easily. Yeah, no, and I think you guys are are both right about all of that. Like Ariel, you were saying that you know I don't think the the story doesn't really change that much. This story is pretty simple in either version, and there's talks about like Richard Williams had kind of talked about like oh like I want to you know it's going to unravel like this great detective story at the end, and that was clearly never going to happen. But for me, that's that's not really what the difference is, and the, and I'm I'm not trying to say like the mirror like the version that we saw as kids was used because i remember like really liking this movie too when i was a kid like i it was always this kind of like weird movie that i would see every once in a while pop up you know i remember being like a kid at a wedding and like all the kids were watching this movie and me and my friend even when we were in high school me and my friend john would just be like the golden balls we would always do like that that impression yeah yeah it Um, was a weekly watch for me yeah um for like about a year (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know the later on i i kind of found out the the history of this and just like i was saying all the insane work that went into it and yeah it is something where you're like who knows if this would ever been finished he's he seems like someone like a, a george r. r martin who's still he's like no i've exactly. got to keep writing and it's just it's it so, keeps working and working is never going to be done so i have opinions on that and i do feel very bad about all the animators specifically and their treatment not just from like specifically like richard williams like in the is wasn't the greatest boss <laughs> so it's like he he like fired people for trying to like oh, yeah, he was kind of a, he was a, he was a dick yeah yeah but so i want to throw my kind of two cents into that of uh and comparing it to the experience that that he you know it, with his involvement on who framed roger rabbit because yeah that in itself was an incredible masterpiece of of animation. They they yeah they rent like revol like what's that word? Um, revolutionized. Renov- yeah, revolutionized that kind of art form of like essentially rediscovering a different type and developing a different type of rotoscoping, which mm-hmm. is an incredible art form to do in itself. And so, but you got to compare. He they did that movie timely. They did it well. So what I believe that could have could have benefited the thief and the cobbler itself is he could have been yeah the original come up with the ideas but have like essentially a project manager to manage him kind of thing like have a and not him be the director but have somebody else be the director have somebody else okay we got to drive this thing we got to push it, things through and kind well, of thing because he he kind of got into his mind they almost much, did you know? that they almost mm-hmm. when the bond company took over when he didn't you know because that's what basically happened is once this movie ended up being so overdue the like you know every all studios do it's like a standard thing where it's like okay we've got to finish it by this time come at this budget otherwise like a com- a bond company will come and like complete the movie which is something that almost never happens but it happened on this film and one of the things that a, a pitch was made was okay we're going to keep these people working on it but we're going to bring in Terry Gilliam to kind of oversee it and who, finish it yeah who would have fit because while i'm been, watching yeah. this movie i'm like this is like Terry Gilliam, mm-hmm. like it would have been, been perfect. Moments. They would have they would have done it and it would have been great. Um mm-hmm. he would have got them to like it's it's just like it reminds me a lot of the the ILM documentary on Disney Plus where they were just kind of like go way behind schedule and just they were doing all these groundbreaking things, but they were taking forever. And then they mm-hmm. got on a tight schedule, they got George Lucas came in and was like, You gotta finish this up. It was basically like kind of like 
kind of shitty to John Dykstra, but like whatever. Um, and they did get it completed, and it was amazing. And if Terry Gilliam could have done that with this film, it would have been this fucking epic masterpiece, like Alan was saying. But the Bond Company rejected that pitch and was just like, no, we're just gonna farm it out to like studios in Hong, like one scene in studio from Hong Kong. We're gonna get some Don Bluefield to work on this. We're gonna do, and it came out how it was. So yeah. there I is an alternate I, history that yeah. could have happened with that. But I think Richard or, or somebody on his team should have recognized this like years ago. You know, like how many years does it have to take you? Especially, I think his downfall was signing the deal with with Warner Brothers. I know that that it was money needed and stuff like that. But you can't, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, you have to create a product, and that product needs to come out. And if you want it to be a passion project, then keep it a passion project. But if you want it to, and and have it ha- accept that it's going to take decades, you know, to do. Um, mm-hmm. But if and, you want this, he said he should have gone yeah. instead of to Warner Brothers to like studios in like Europe and stuff like that. That would have been a little more lenient and let him kind of like take his time to finish it because that was his vision. But I, I just want to kind of get back into what mm-hmm. I was saying there that. Alan, everything you were saying is is absolutely right. This, the level of just competence and just how amazing this film looks, I don't think people will truly understand because, like I said, this film is all done on cells. And the way that the camera moves in this film is unlike anything animated on, like, cells ever made. Like, the way that the camera, like, when it's zooming through the mountains, stuff like that. You will see a shot like that today. It'll be even if it's like a hand-drawn movie, they'll still do that digitally. Like the fact that they would do that and that make it makes sense they took years and years and years because there are some things in this movie that blow your you're like literally how did they do this? Like how many people, how many years did it take to do this shot? Like the beginning when they are running through all those like you said Rube Goldberg's and those optical illusions and like there's the one where it's like the tiles and they fall and it's, it's just like one they, it's it's mm-hmm. so it's it's literally this is like an a piece of art more than it is a movie to me it is just like this kind of moving masterpiece of just this is this style of artwork that we have seen utilized in this way that you don't really ever see and I think the only place that gets close is is studio ghibli but even they are even miyazaki has done digital stuff like that and you know credit to him because he does get his movies actually finished even though he does also take years and years and years to do his movies and they always kind of uh fall behind and stuff like that but god this movie looks so incredible and the fact that i just want to point this out this is also animated on once and for if anybody's listening who doesn't know what that means a lot of film is animated on twos, which means that every two frames you'll see a new drawing. Ghibli films are animated on twos, twos or threes. And the f- half of this film that was animated after Richard Williams left is animated on twos. This film is all animated on ones. That means that every single frame is a new drawing. And that is part of why it is so astounding. The level of these pieces looks so good. But yeah, like you said, Ariel... I don't know if this would ever be completed. It's 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 for me. It's more of like a visual, just artwork, just almost in the way that like something like I don't know. Like I, I like it. I would think this is much better film than like Avatar, but like the same way that like Avatar Two is just kind of like looking at this amazing technology, this world, this 
that took years and years and years to complete. But yeah, it it really going back and and watching it now because I've seen bits and pieces of the recobbled cut. I've seen like the trailer and I've watched uh, the scenes that some of the scenes that were taken out. Like because you can tell kind of watching the theatrical version that there are some pieces that are missing specifically i think the biggest part is with the witch because that kind of goes really quickly and when you watch the recobbled cut you can tell why because there's a lot of just chunks of that that are just storyboard but the big one i think is the finale which was that where the, the whole thing is just just being destroyed and you're seeing the thief going through everything i also really like for me i i I appreciate what Richard or what John Winters was doing um, because they clearly were like, okay, like we're going to do like, just like you said, Ariel, there's that Aladdin connection where it's like, there's this really funny comedian. We're going to get him in to kind of tell these jokes, be kind of anachronistic, like say things like, oh, this is like, like, oh, I'm going to do it like a pilot, you know? And I, and like, that's kind of more for the kids, you know, but I do appreciate the silent film aesthetic that was in where you had like these characters that are kind of just Buster Keaton inspired and they're just kind of going through because one of the things I that bugged me a little bit uh was just the relentless narration by by someone who I'm a really big fan of um what's his name Ferris Bueller uh, uh Broderick yeah yeah I love <laughs> Matthew Broderick but yeah. it is his, the narration I've just spaced but the narration is just so constant and I'm just like I get it I know what's happening this is a clear this film was designed to tell you things visually you don't need to explain everything to me and that got a little old i do want to say and also the same thing with they also added fido they added like the voice for fido i don't know if you knew this alan but he just kind of like squawks and stuff like that you know who the voice was for fido alan fucking i was like because i was looking up the the you know like i said when they got slow i was looking it up and i was like okay oh okay so vincent price is you know blue meanie and then blah 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 whoever and then matthew broderick is for the edited ones and then I see Fido, and I'm like, this is some, like, they, they really, like, I'm going to stop bearing the lead, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? The, the randomest person to be like, you're going to play a fucking bird. I was like, Donald Pleasance, you know, yeah. legendary actor known for just so much good shit. And then, you know, you know, obviously Halloween, but like, I was like. Uh, it's kind of one of those, like, wasn't there like an episode of South Park or something where like George Clooney just played a dog and he yeah, just barked yeah. or some shit? <laughs> I was like, okay, fuck it. Maybe that's the joke. Maybe in the credits they meant to be like Donald mm-hmm. Pleasance and like the audience are like, who's he playing? Oh, is he like a villain? And it's like, he's a bird. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is like with him, like record all the, they, there's some iconic voices. Obviously you got Vincent Price as Zigzag, which is the one voice they get because you can't get rid of Vincent Price. Like, yeah. amazing. like he's just speaking in verse the entire time. And I think yeah, it's, it's freaking great. Is well known of playing what I consider underrated villains with, with this. And then Radigan from yeah. um, the great mouse detective, mm-hmm. but then also um, Ironside who, from um, here comes Peter Cottontail as well. So, yeah. yeah, but like, and the, like, he's not the only because he recorded this in like the '60s and '70s. So like, mm-hmm. Richard Williams just over the years got all these iconic people to do all the voices, and we've lo- you lost a lot of them except for Price, like I mentioned. Um, you lost obviously uh, original Princess Yum Yum, original King Nod was Anthony Quayle from Lawrence of Arabia. In fact, this film was in production so long that mo- a good chunk of there's like ten people in this movie. That this, including Vincent Price, where this and Quail 
where this was their last film because it was in production so long that they recorded this 20 years before it came out. And then the film was eventually released with these old, well, actually, you know, some of them didn't even appear on it, but this, all these old tracks were kind of came out and they just had them, you know, um, on files before I, I do wrap up of what I've been saying, I do want to say something nice about the Miramax version, uh, which is I, I didn't love all of the songs. In fact, I kind of snoozed a little bit on the princess songs because I did rewatch that just to get a little more context talking about this. But I, I do have a like it's that same like thing with you, Ariel, where it's like there's a, I've got a nostalgic soft spot for that Brigand song. That song is a banger. Like, I'm not going to lie that just like boom, boom, bada, bada, like. I I, yeah. I was just I like when I rewatched I kind of like fast forwarded and I made sure to stop at that song and rewatch and watch the rest of the movie from there. That's just that song's just great. Like I, it's I think like, it, it, I do it love also, that song. So I enjoy that one and I do enjoy the princess I want song, which in the in the original like Aladdin was missing. Like and should have been included. Gildy Cage should have been included in the original. But um, I did enjoy those two. Uh, because they expand on the characters that like in the recobbled version are you don't get much of like you don't get much of from any of the characters but by having those two two songs especially with the second one with the with the tribe who don't you don't get any not much backstory at all in the recobbled version you get more personality added to them you you know you kind of with that song for the the that that outcast tribe you kind of like oh you kind of yeah the brigands you're like oh they just like want to like they just failed at one time and like no like they shouldn't be exiled and stationed like you know they're good guys and stuff so you get to care for them a lot and and yeah like so so i do agree with you like that part that song in particular like adds a lot to to characters and stuff like that and it's just fun. It's just honestly super fun. Like, like I, I was, I was not gonna lie, because that was the one thing I was just like when I was re- watching the recobbled cut. I was like, oh yeah, I guess that song was na- it was added later. Oh, that's a bummer. Like that was the one thing that I was like, oh man, I, I, I do miss that. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. I'm kind of glad I saw this version. I swear, I think I might have seen it because, like I said, the cobbler, his face was so like, like it unlocked a memory, but not a complete memory. Like I think maybe I saw it in passing as a kid. It was like, always on in the background at, at one of your friends' houses or something. I feel like it was just on in like you would see it like in somewhere rant. Like I said, like at that wedding I was at, just like for some reason all the kids were just like hanging out at a wedding and they're like, yeah, let's just throw, put on, throw on this one. It's it's just one of those like random weird movies from your childhood that you just it's like there's some core memories there, but you can't exactly unearth where they're from. I feel like. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, but uh, no, I actually I actually kind of refer to that in here any music. Any any music in it because I really really like how I saw it. I, I mean, like mm-hmm. I like that it was a little bit more just animation rather than mm-hmm. like kids animation. So I was like, oh, I, I dig this a lot, and especially with like all the psychedelic moments and everything. And I, I was just like, no, I, I like this ride, and I like where I'm at. So I, I I'm really glad I saw this version. Uh, but maybe one day I'll get back. I'll, I'll get around to seeing the the Miramax one. Just to to see the difference, yeah. And and Miramax was kind of notorious, especially at the time, for drastically cutting movies. Like, there's this famous story of because Miramax would cut movies, and they would also add a lot of like soundtrack and dialogue to stuff because they thought American audiences would not pay attention. And 
they did that with a lot of the Ghibli films when they were getting all the like if you you can watch like you know Castle in the Sky and stuff like that and there's just like so much more extra stuff that's just shoved in there and there's this really great story about uh, when Princess Mononoke was coming out which is my favorite animated movie I think it's a it is the it is a masterpiece unlike anything I've ever seen and when it was getting its US release and Miramax was going to do it Miyazaki's producer sent Harvey Weinstein, who was the guy who, human piece of shit, and the guy responsible for a lot of these cuts um, in the Ghibli films and this one and so many other things, he sent him a sword and it said, no cuts. And, And there was no cuts in Princess Mononoke. And Miyazaki later said, I defeated him. And I thought that was so fucking great. That's pretty awesome. I mean, Princess Mononoke is like an absolutely amazing film. Like It is a masterpiece. If anything, that was the movie I saw in the background where somebody mm-hmm. was watching and I walked in on it and I was like, you can have gore and, and just adult themes and animation. And this is before I got into anime. This was just like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, whoa, like as a kid, you're like, oh, there shouldn't be blood or there shouldn't be gore or anything like that or or just like mature themes and stuff like i was like blown away but again i, I you know i digress <laughs> yeah like what like rewatching it one thing i was thinking about um is that the way that this film uses its film as like visual language and it's just like yeah these are the things we can do in film with very little dialogue and just just tell a story through the aesthetics of movies uh and it reminded me a lot of mad max fury road in that respect where it is just kind of just like, here's the plot being propelled forward by these images. And because one thing I do a lot is when I edit this show, I will be lis- I'll be like listening to it and editing on my laptop. And I will like to have something visual on in the background for me to just kind of like glance up at or something. Something that is visually very compelling, but I'll have it on mute because I don't want to be listening to it and I don't want to be distracted i don't want any subtitles or anything so some movies that i've done that like with mad max in the mood for love and i think this is honestly i might i'll probably throw this on while i'm editing this episode because the way it it really does feel like a mad max or like a silent film where it is just propelled by these incredible visuals and i I just keep thinking of that scene where he's running you're seeing all the spirals it's 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 just even if you don't rewatch this movie, anybody who's listening, just look up those scenes. Just watch the trailer for the recobbled cut because it will blow your fucking mind. Absolutely, I agree. And it also reminded me, I need to go back and finish it. But um, another visual film that just came out uh, not too long ago is Mad God, where that one mm. has been in production. Well, I think Phil Tippett's just been working on it on his own for like thirty years, and. That one, I mean, I will say when I was watching, it was kind of slower. It's not as, you know, all over the place and really vibrant. It's a lot more darker tone, but it still has, like, it's still one of those pieces where, like, even though I was kind of, like, sometimes a little bored, it's still gorgeous and wonderful to watch. Like, I was, like, just blown away about about its own, like, you know, stop motion and the art that goes into that. So if you're ever feeling that same type of thing, that you're like, I want to watch something that's just a visual story. There you go. You know, you got a thief and the cobbler and then you got mad God. I always appreciate films like that. And I think that's a really, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, no, sorry. Good. I was going to say, I think that's a really apt comparison because I think Tippett 
like Williams, is this guy who is just the master of his craft. And he, you know, like like you said, was working on this film for so long. And then after Jurassic Park, I think he was kind of like, all right, I'm kind of done with this. I think that stop motion's kind of done. It's on the way out. But he came back to it years later. I think the pandemic was, a, he was like, I'm going to go back to this and, and finish it. And just, both of these guys have been huge names in the industry, but they never had their, their like thing. There's never been like, Richard Williams, is he's always been like, oh, the guy who worked on Roger Rabbit or the guy who did the openings to Pink Panther or the opening to, like, what's new. He would do, do these, all those. You don't see him anymore because it's not, like, credits now are kind of boring and they're all CG or whatever. But, like, he when you would see these great animated openings for movies, he did so many iconic ones in the same way that Phil Tippett has worked in the industry for so long doing Jurassic Park and doing all these great, like, different anime stop-motion things. Uh, Williams worked in the industry and they're both Oscar winners. You know, they've both won Oscars for like shorts and stuff like that uh, in the same way. So that, I think that's a really good comparison. Man, I do miss animated intros. Holy shit. Like, right? I really miss it. Every time, like, you know, I mean, I, I like all three of us, you know, I, I think Derek's the most prominent of us being a writer, but I think all three of us, you know, we have our ideas. We write, like, even on my phone, I have plenty of fucking story ideas that I never got around to like getting to it but I usually write with like music playing and like the first fucking thing I, I usually think of, a, of of an idea of a film and the first thing I think of is like I want to have like an animated title sequence and I want it to be like this so the point where I start kind of directing that in my head of how I want it and truly truly I think like opening title credits like that art sadly is kind of dying off or like now I understand that there's like this cinematic appeal of just getting right into the movie. And then now you have all these big blockbusters where you see certain logos and you're like, I already know what I'm in for. And then the movie starts and then they'll show the, the title at the end of the movie at the end credits. Uh, I know Marvel's doing a really great job of like at least doing something cool with the end credits. Mm-hmm. But I really do miss like the the animated intro credits to a film because it... Like Scott Pilgrim versus World has one of oh, the yes. greatest fucking intro credits sequence. Like I, I saw that premiere night and I just remember all my buddies and I we were sitting there and you know, fucking the sex ball bombs are playing and then it just starts going and like it, like the the couch gets pulled back and then it has like all the you know, all the X's have their own little animated sequences kind of thing for their for the cast names. It, it really sets up the mood for you for a film. And God damn, like just sitting there, I remember just like going, holy shit, we're in, we're in for a great time. It's just, it's something that is really a dying art that I wish we would see more often in film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you guys, before we wrap up here, did you guys have any, any final thoughts on Thief and the Cobbler? Just uh, yeah. Check, check it out specifically for the animation. And just yeah, see, I I really do hope, and I I, I kind of just it sucks from a um audience point of view that I mean yeah, it's understandable that he felt like oh like oh I'm never gonna like animate anything again, but uh, he did animate a few things. I I I watched I watched some of them, but not to this degree. But yeah, I mean, it it sucks when when people are like clearly talented, but 
once they have like a kind of downfall or like not a downfall, but like something gets taken away. Like this could equate to kind of like a Walt Disney getting Oswald the lucky rabbit taken away from him and he just stopped, you know, kind of thing. So it's very it's a very sad shame that he didn't move on and continue and and do something you know just try again i I do have something to say about that but um because he did um he did and like like the end of the um the documentary persistence of vision was saying he was he was working on a film but Uh, they're shorts they're shorts it it, it was he was planning to do a film based on the ancient greek play he and but it was the same thing that happened with this he just he just never finished it he oh, he yeah. what, it was going to be a fe- it was planned to be a feature but he just you know it's that same thing where he's such a perfectionist that he never got it done he only got the first part uh the prologue done which mm-hmm. eventually he did release as prologue and it won the academy award for best short film but yeah it's it just kind of it's one of those things where it's like yeah he and he 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 just wasn't able to finish it unfortunately yeah yeah, it, it's the prologue. I I watched it. It's not the same style. It's a lot more realism, um, sketch drawings, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's literally six minutes, which is yeah. It just kind of sucks. It's like you said. It's a very. He seemed like a very George R R Martin kind of person, which, uh. I don't really like that type of person. <laughs> I don't like Joe R. R. Martin th- that much. Um, Very Kubrick-esque. I, yeah, I get it though. Yeah. It's it's tough to fucking write. It's tough, to, it, but yeah, I. But you're so, right. It's not a. Uh, I don't know. Like he's the type of artist that like wanted wants. He's talented. He has talent, mm-hmm. but it's it's not even about a drive. It's just about being realistic in your art mm-hmm. i guess you could say and yeah that's like, there's that's that. that unfortunately there's people you know there's like those and it's it's he's the definition of like a tragic artist i mm-hmm. think for sure like there's that part in the documentary where they're talking about like he there's that scene with the soldier and it's such an incredible sequence where the soldier is like climbing onto the back and he's got like 18 arrows in his back and he's climbing on the horse it's supposed to be like a 15 second thing and then it ends up being like a minute long because he was like this is so good he just kept going and going and going and going and it's it's like at some point you've got to and this is something yeah yeah, like you're right like me being a writer i like at some point like you've got to like stop and be like i have a deadline i need to do this i'm going to this is as good like i just i know that i can make this better but i've got to stop now and work on the next part Otherwise, you'll you'll never finish anything. So you, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It seems like he wasn't able to, unfortunately, compartmentalize that and, and do that, which is a shame. But the George R. R. Martin thing reminds me of something. And I don't think I've I've told this story on the podcast before, but you, I think you'll appreciate this, Alan. There was a uh, this interview where George R. R. Martin um, was talking to Stephen King, and they were interviewing yep. each other. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I love it. And and George R. R. Martin goes, Stephen, I've got one question for you. How the fuck do you write so fast? And like that that just says it all right there. Because Stephen King will put mm-hmm. out like eight books a year. That guy's a psychopath. Uh, but, you know, George R. R. Martin will like write two pages in eight months. Yeah. Yeah. No, because St- Stephen King's just genius in that way. Like he's just is a genius. <laughs> you know? I, I feel like Stephen King is the type of dude who just 
he 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 makes it his job. Like he's like, mm-hmm. I gotta write like four thousand yep. words every day. Like he he makes it like, I think he's the epitome of like you master something at ten thousand hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. pretty sure he's clocked in way more. Oh yeah, than no. ten thousand. No, I don't know if you've ever read his book on writing. It's I have such it, yeah, a, but I haven't it's such, it's such a phenomenal story. I mean, book. It's such a phenomenal book. It literally helped me learn how to write correctly because of just how clear he makes things are. It, like, it is very much a dive into his mind, but you get to like, oh, like, you're you're like incredibly smart and you know the art of writing but it's not you're not being pretentious at all it's not it's just like uh, you're it's just like listening to like a friend teach you something is very much how how Stephen king's on writing is it's definitely a worth watch a worth 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 read book (laughs) i I have it here somewhere on my bookshelf yeah i have it i have it somewhere too on my bookshelf yeah yeah, that reminds me of a book this that I just, book. I just, yeah, oh, very nice. such yeah. a perfect. Yeah, I, I just speaking of stuff, I just this is tangential, but um, I just finished the book, uh, Sidney Lumet's book, Making Movies, and it's the same kind of thing, but for films. And I, if, I really recommend anybody who is interested in in filmmaking, definitely check that out. Sidney Lumet, obviously an incredible director. His first film in 1957 was 12 Angry Men. His last film in 2007 was Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. So just like a 50-year career of just like 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 Network and Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon, like all in between. So yeah, like on the same vein of like just somebody who just can, is a master of their craft. Like if anybody out there wants to like read a really good book on making uh, movies, read Making Movies by Sidney yeah. Lumet. I would also, I would recommend Stephen King's for if you're a screenwriter also, because just how how thematic thematic is his writing is for sure no mm-hmm. i would recommend there's this one documentary oh my god I, I never saw the whole thing but oh god what is it called it's like filming america or, or something like that it, it's like these two just guys who just love movies and they document themselves making a movie and there's sequences where it just shows the process of making a film and they make Is it so funny. American main um, American oh, American movie. I think it's called American. Yeah, American movie. Oh, shit. Movie. Okay. Go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen that, but I've, I've, I've heard yeah, really good. They're good. like, they do it at, on podcasts. Like it's 1999. Elijah Wood did an episode on that. So mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, um, I, I think I heard about it from, uh, James Rolfe. He's a, the angry video game nerd on YouTube, uh, from Cinemasker and stuff. And that's like, one of his like most favorite films and that mm-hmm. guy's like a massive cinephile and like anytime you know one of my favorite things to watch from james rolf is when he just talks about film because yeah his mm-hmm. video game stuff is funny but he knows film and like this guy has watched probably more films than like all three of us combined times three mm-hmm. like That's, that dude yeah th- that dude's a, a madman but like he brings it up all the time and i think he even used it as influence for like one of the films that he was able to make, but I, I would definitely, yeah, I think it's American movie. Unfortunately, it's American movie, yeah. American movie, yeah. I think yeah. one of the guys passed away recently too, maybe mm-hmm. like in the one or two years mm-hmm. ago, but yeah. 
I mean, and I that's the thing. I love movies like about movies, like documentaries about movies are always so like that's why I really dug Persistence of Vision like about this one. It's it's like Abed from Community. He's like, yeah, everyone knows that Hearts of Darkness is better than Apocalypse Now, and like that seems like a joke, but it's true. Like I, no, Hearts of Darkness is fucking incredible. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan of that too. I yeah, agree. yeah. Any any final thoughts here, guys? Before before we wrap it up, this episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Um, I guess, like... What what is like your guys's go to animated film? That's the only thing I guess I can ask. Like uh, that you feel is almost on par with like the direction of it and like the styling. Like like how much of the craft goes into it? Where you go, yeah, yeah. this was like all the love was in it. Yeah, my my favorite is Leland Stitch, but a movie that I literally like it was just because it hit at that time and and we just watched it almost every day in band class at the end of the year one year in junior high and i think i it because and i never got tired of it i still never get tired of it i could rewatch it over and over again is the incredibles it's such a, a masterpiece of a movie and yeah like you could re i watched it i think for a solid month back to back to back we we started it from the beginning each day so we like essentially like ended at the same point and it we never we never complained we never got tired of it it was always like yes like this i i remember when that movie came out and it was just like this is the epitome of like cartoons like this is mm-hmm. su- uh, such an incredible movie it, like pu- not pun, pun unintended but but yeah like so the incredibles is one for sure it, and then from then it's like just like being in the mood of for a movie of like holiday movies usually like yeah like a here like i mentioned with another Vis- vincent price one here comes fear cottontail is always a fun one and yeah, but I think Incredibles is gonna be the one that I could like pop in and just watch. I know, I know. At one point, I and I think I could trigger it back into it. Um, but at one point, I could word for word re- recite that movie, and I think I could still like I, it. Might take like kicking, like it might kick in at the ten minute mark, but I could. <laughs> I think I could recite that whole movie. That that movie is a fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite Pixar movie, which is saying a lot because I goddamn love Pixar and Toy Story three exists. But uh, yeah, for me, I think uh, of the Disney movies, like Mulan is flawless. That movie is so goddamn good. And it just speaking, you were speaking about like a shot of the mountains, and I was gonna say like 
I think Mulan is the one that comes like closest to that. Like yeah, just Mulan, that shot. M- Mulan does some really mm-hmm. like they do like they do manage to, they do some digital stuff in that, but it does look seamless. Like it looks incredible. I love the way too. Like a lot of the movies, you know, the, and the, you know, a lot of the Disney Renaissance movies owe their their heritage to this movie in that this try to try to emulate that Arabian style. A lot of the great movies in the Disney Renaissance emulated these styles of where they were set. Obviously, Hercules was supposed to kind of look like the uh, art on pots and stuff like that. And Mulan does a really good job of emulating the art of ancient China. And it's also just like a flawless movie. Like it's so good. The character arc that she goes on is so incredible. Just of self-realization and everything. Coraline. Fucking banger. Coraline so good. Technical Marvel and Neil Gaiman just adaptation. But I mean, it's it's going to be the same one. If I'm giving you my real answer, it's the same one that I brought up like five times. It's Princess Mononoke. That movie fundamentally just has changed me as a person it rewired my brain that movie more than anything has had an effect on me as like a writer like in the way that i want to tell stories in the way that i see the world it it just it's one of those movies that i remember i can vividly remember watching it for the first time it was for my old roommate my one of my best friends um in high school like he took he was in the Japanese club and he's like, You gotta watch this movie and we watched it on the big screen up at the campus and I was like blown away. I was like, Nothing will ever be the same after watching this movie. It's a movie that I still watch two or three times a year. They're doing it. Shout out to um our friends over at the Frida, our the local independent cinema we've got here. They're gonna be doing the Ghibli Fest. I'm gonna be seeing it at least once up on the big screen. I always do love to go see that movie when it's playing theatrically. It's it's perfect. It, I don't like both it, subbed and dubbed. I'll watch it anytime, day or night. I I love Princess Mononoke. It, it lives in my heart. Hell yeah. Um. Well, for me, it, it's not a movie I rewatch frequently because I just like because it is a very. Uh, as my girlfriend had mentioned it, she's like, oh, that's a movie movie. <laughs> and we had talked about it before. It's actually on, I think we did it on You've Never Seen. So go check that out. If you want to hear us talk about it, it's Akira. Yeah. It's just mm. fucking, <laughs> just so well animated. It's animated just, on ones, Akira. Shout out. Slowly. See, there we go. I fucking knew it. I, mm-hmm. I knew it. But how long did it take? So, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 they, they got through it, man. They got through it. <laughs> but yeah, man, that that film just—they had a manga the, to 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 trace over to. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, they, they really, and I mean the 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 writer and artist of the manga. I think he directed the film as well, so mm-hmm. he kind of they, they had, had a, lot had of a direction already. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's just gorgeous, just stunning. I, I, I like I, that's a movie I kind of want to save to watch from the big screen because I've never had a chance to do it, and just. Yeah, hopefully, you know, our, our friends have it's free to do it, too. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, very nice. Well, um, everyone, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as we said, we are the uh, undercast company uh, here at Underrated. And, yeah, we do some other shows as well. If anyone wants to check out our other shows, uh, Ariel also has the aforementioned You've Never Seen, which comes out on the first of every month where... She will take us into the world of a movie that we should have seen by this point, or sometimes we will introduce her to a movie that she should have seen, a cinematic classic or just a piece of pop culture, but something we can then, after we've seen it, say, now we've seen it. 
There's also a couple other podcasts that I uh, do. I every day that this comes out, I am also on my. I'm a co-host on my friend Damien's show. Can I say something? kind of just like a just kind of general what we've been watching type show uh and then there's also infinity stones and dragon bones which is whenever there is a new mcu property that comes out movie or show uh i get together and grab some people usually it's you guys or it can be any number of people and talk about the, the property and that's a lot of fun uh and then like i mentioned at the beginning of this show this was a listener suggestion uh we are going to be trying to do that more one way we are going to be doing that is that we have a Patreon and we just added a new tier where if you are a $5 patron, it's only $5 for our highest tier, also very affordable, you can, after six months, you can tell us a movie and we will do that movie. We will cover it. Um, So if you do really have a movie that you want to suggest to us, you can always suggest it and we might do it. But if you want to guarantee that we'll talk about it, sign up for our Patreon and we will talk about it. Um, yeah, so, we'll do it as our next one, like after you hit the six months. We'll exactly, do it as our yep, next. yep. So, so uh, you know, really looking forward to that. We do have somebody who has signed up already, so they are an official producer now. Uh, uh, so thank you. Um, so hopefully we'll be getting some more of those in the past. We, we have a lot of great patrons over there. Um, so hopefully we get to see some more of you guys and talk about some films. Really looking forward to doing some more episodes, suggestions from both the patrons and just ones that we get that we want to pick. We've got some really cool episodes of this show coming out next week we're going to be talking to um a one of my favorite podcasters billy ray bruton decided, uh, agreed to come on and we got to talk about um a home at the end of the world which is already recorded and i still need to edit uh so look so look forward to that and look forward to all the other stuff that we got coming down the pipe bike <laughs> so bold. thank you so much yeah. you guys <laughs> and thank you for the suggestion we really really appreciate it can't wait to hear from you guys again and yeah that's us signing off Take it easy, everybody. Bye. Thanks for being amazing. See ya.